You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Welcome and good morning, guys. Thanks for inviting me uh, in to speak on nothing other than money. Uh, Actually, the way that Ryan uh, began the conversation is he said, Hey, Brian, um, would love for you to preach at my church. And I was like, yeah, totally, absolutely. And then I said, so what's, what's it on? He said, oh, you just money, you know, nothing big. Like, Thanks, Ryan. You're going to Hawaii. i got to teach the body about how to steward finances. But no, I, I'm honestly uh, just blessed to be here. Uh, Ryan Rice, your pastor, is part of Vision Arizona, and you just saw the video. It's a movement of trying to plant Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches here in the valley. And one of the things that we know is as we grow and as we get people moving in, there's not enough churches for the people that are coming. And especially in the East Valley where I'm at, um, if you don't build it, it, it doesn't exist. It's not like you're going to find a, a 20-year-old mainline church that's fallen apart or anything like that or a 50-year-old building that can be used. Um, it's desert, and then it's whatever is being built within the last 5, 10 years. And so we're coming into an area that, that is exploding in growth. We're coming into an area that has a lot of Mormon churches, uh, and we're coming into an area that desperately needs the good message and good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do this morning is, is kind of jump into this idea of stewardship. But before we do, let me introduce you to a little bit about who I am and kind of what brought me here into the valley. I'll start with my family. Uh, there is my beautiful wife of 12 years. Uh, she is my partner in ministry. Uh, and we have done uh, everything from youth ministry to kids camps to uh, moving out here a year ago to start Flatiron Church over in the East Valley. We've got four kiddos. Uh, and really the one on the hip is the reason she couldn't be here this morning. Uh, Ruby does not travel well. Uh, it would have been an hour-long cry fest, and uh, my wife said, no, thank you. <laughs> I'll watch you online. Um, the girl on my shoulders, that's Mia. Uh, she's my, uh, she's kind of like me. She's a spitfire, a bit uh, of a go-getter. In fact, we almost had her on the side of the road. She couldn't wait uh, to get to the hospital, and so... Uh, and she's really never let off the gas ever since. Um, my son, Calvin, he's holding down the fort as the only boy, uh, which is appropriate. He's usually destroying the fort uh, as he builds it. And then my daughter, Cora, uh, she'll be eight this month. She's probably the most responsible person on that picture, is my guess. A true firstborn, right? Um, so they joined me. We came out here a year ago. And we started really what was a just kind of a Bible study in my house. And, and that really blossomed into a public meeting back in September. That was the first time we began to do services on Sunday evening. Uh, and that was really just to kind of gauge, hey, you're meeting neighbors, you're meeting coworkers, you're meeting people at the park. Bring them to church. Let's see if we can start this launch team. So we began that in my house in September. Uh, as of last week and really the, the weeks in February, we had grown to about 80 or 90 people. Um, Praise God. Yeah, let's praise the Lord for that. And it shows you the interest and the need when all you do is trust in this. Amen. And so this morning what we're going to be talking about is this idea of stewardship. And as a way of segue into that conversation, let me just begin um, that I think this message is appropriate no matter where you find yourself. If you've been a Christian for a day, if you've been a Christian for 40 years. The issue of money will always be a core issue. 
And the reason is because it really likes to take the place of God. It really likes to take the place of God. And so I'll start kind of a bit with me. Before I became a pastor, I was a teacher. So apparently I'm drawn to professions that don't make money. Um, And before that, I wanted to be a pharmacist because I actually wanted to make money. And I really wanted to make money because I enjoyed cars as a young man. I, I loved cars and I loved fast cars. And I was like, okay, if I can make good money and buy fast cars, that seems like a good life. And so early in my college career, I started as a pharmacy tech and I started working at a company called Walgreens. I'm sure you've been there. And uh, maybe waited in their drive through That was me helping you, so don't get too upset. Um, but I did that for a number of years, probably 10 years. But the first couple, I was really trying to see if this would be my job. And, and the Lord in his grace gave me a wonderful manager named Angie, who uh, she was going through a few things while she was my, my manager. And she was on hormone therapy. She was trying to get pregnant. It was a whole deal. But let's just say she had some ups and downs while she was my manager there. And I caught her on one of the downs. And I'll never forget the day. I was already struggling because it was just so hard, routine work, in and out. I was in the drive-thru window getting cussed at by somebody who was upset that they had to pay for their prescription. Imagine that. Uh, And then Angie, I printed off some labels, and she takes this label. And and unlike most people who normally hand them to you, uh, she threw them at me. This ream of of labels just chucked them at me as I'm in the drive-thru. And I remember thinking and really having this internal moment with God like, there has to be something better than being screamed at and being paper chucked at by my manager. And at that point in time, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew pharmacy was not it. Next week, one of my friends talks to me, and he's like, hey, you know what? You've always been a good teacher. Why not just go into education? And I was like, teachers don't make any money. Why would I go to education? He's like, well, just a thought. And it took a few more months of convincing, but eventually I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm not going to make anything, but at least it's something I know I can do and do well. And the reason I didn't want to be the teacher is I really looked at money as this idea of, of, of I want to get something out of life, and money's going to help me do it. How many of us approach life like that? We want to get something out of life. We want to pursue something in life. We want to achieve something in life. But rather than asking the Lord and stewarding the life he's given us, we start with, what can we make? I'm sure it's not just me here this morning that's had that thought or had that question. And so what God began to show me through a process was that life and really the joy of money is about stewarding. It's not about securing. It's not about getting more. It's not about security. And you're going to see that in our text as we look at the nation of Israel through the eyes of Malachi, who's a prophet. He's going to challenge some of the assumptions they had about money. And one of those core assumptions that they had, like you and I sometimes have, is we want to have it for security. And he's going to constantly push them back to be stewards of it. Let's go ahead and take a look at our text. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. And basically, we're going to walk through uh, a good portion of this text this morning. I'm reading from the ESV. You can follow along on the screen or join us in your scripture. Verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? 
Okay. Verse 6 assumes a few things from the reader. One, it assumes that you know that Israel had a covenant with God. And one of those covenant promises was that the Lord would bless and sustain. But one of the covenant requirements is that they would give what's known as a tithe, a tenth. Tithe just simply means a tenth. And so the Lord would provide and they would give from that abundance back to God. And he's suggesting to them that God has not changed since he gave that first command. That command would have came out of Sinai on the mount when he gave the covenant to Moses. It's now been several hundred years, several uh, dozens of kings later, and, and they're still, the Lord has not changed. But then verse 7, it says, From the days of your father you have turned aside from my statutes. And just as the Lord had not changed, the heart of Israel had not changed either. See, the heart of Israel early on was they wanted the covenant blessings of God, but they didn't want any of the responsibilities. They wanted him to be giving them things, but they didn't actually want to steward back the gifts. They wanted relationship with God on their terms. And here we see God has a charge against them. Verse 7 and verse 8, he'll continue that charge. He says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. And you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now here's what's interesting about this, is that Jesus is going to say, or, or God's going to say, through Malachi, you're robbing me. Well, you can't be robbed unless it's yours to begin with, right? You have to own it. When God makes this declaration to the people of Israel, he's saying, those things that I've given you, who did they come from? They came from me. All of the blessings, all the gift, all of the resources you have, you're to give out of that abundance back. But whose is it first? It's the Lord's. This is why God can say, you are robbing me. And then the second thing. He says to Israel, you're living under a curse. Now, some commentators will say this is just an extension of Genesis 3, just the curse of man uh, in the garden. But I think it's more specific than that. I think it actually is specific to when we do not steward the resources we have that he's given us, we find ourselves opposed to God. We actually find ourselves opposed to God. And oddly enough, in verse 9, he says, the whole nation of you. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, it's great that you're up here, Brian. I love that you're talking to those people about giving money. But I give money. I understand there are faithful men and women in here, 100%. There were faithful men and women in Israel too. But the whole nation was implied. The whole nation. And why? Because as a whole, the nation wasn't. And as a whole, the church today isn't. And if you don't believe me, let's go ahead and take a look at just a few stats. I'm going to pull some data walking through really four generations of people. If you're a born after 96, um, it, it's not that you don't matter. It's that you give so little they didn't have stats on you. Um, it's kind of a joke. But most of my church is born after 96, so that's, I like to poke them a bit. Uh, silent generation, 1928 to 1945. If you're sitting in here and you're of that generation, you, although you constitute only 19 million people, 88% give. Baby boomers, still a fairly large cohort, 70 million, 72% of baby boomers give. 
And then you drop down to Generation X, 65 to 1980, 65 million people, and 59% give. And then finally, the millennials. This is my cohort. I was born in 85. And you see that out of 72 million, the largest cohort, only 60 give. But take a look at the annual gift. 481 over the course of an entire year. Now, I know a lot of millennials that make a lot more than that. And so we're patting ourselves on our back, but we're only giving a fraction. $25 here, $25 there, $50 here. And so, again, I I would make the argument that, yes, there are faithful givers. There are people who give generously. But as a whole, as a population, do you see a trend? Because I do. I feel the trend. Because I'm working with younger and younger people who give less and less. The people who did this research, this is, by the way, from October of last year. So this is very, very current. They said, and I quote, The silent generation gives more, hear this, because that is the life they were taught. I'll say that again. The silent generation gives more because that is the life they were taught. Millennials give less because they're more selective of the cause. And they do not give to specific charities. Like Israel, I wonder... If we bought into the lie of thinking our money is not about stewarding, but about security. Not about stewarding, but about making sure we maintain a certain lifestyle. Not about stewarding, but about making sure we can be protected against something that goes wrong. And here's the thing. These are symptoms of a heart. And Malachi is actually going to address the heart with us. Turn with me. Verse 10, same chapter. He's going to address why this is so difficult for us. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouses. Again, this is the, the, the voice of the Lord. He says that there may be food in my home and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12, then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. There's several things we're going to pull from here. In fact, there's four things we get from these three verses that give us the heart of what it means to be someone who stewards. The first thing, we'll begin with this. We bring our gift to the Lord. It begins with us. And it begins with God. That is where we start, is by bringing the gift unto him. The second thing we see is the Lord says, put me to the test. I will come through. He will be the one who secures. That's the second thing we see. The third thing we see coming from the text is this, that the enemy is there. There's a devourer, and guess who's going to be fighting the devourer? The Lord. And fourth and finally, we see that the people are blessed. The nations will call you blessed. And so let me go ahead and just put these four 
in a row for you so you can see that the lifestyle, the heart posture coming out of our text, coming out of Malachi 3, verses 10 through 12, are these four things that we start with our gift to God. That's where we start. That's where we begin. That's how the conversation gets rolling when it comes to money. The second thing is God secures. God will be the one that owns the results. He's going to be the one that provides. He's going to be the one that makes sure this thing happens. You stay afloat. The third thing, there's an enemy. Something's going to come in. Something's going to challenge. Something's going to try to devour. But God is the one who will fight. And lastly, we the people are blessed. And that blessing isn't just unto us, but the nations around will see that blessing and see the Lord of hosts taking care of his people. You say, this sounds great, Brian. This is what I, this is what I want to do. Yet, yet, I find and I think most people invert this. Most people don't live according to the, a, a lifestyle of stewardship. They actually live to a lifestyle of security. And here's what happens when we live to a lifestyle of security. We flip it. Let's go ahead and flip this now. This is what I tend to see as what we do because we're trying to do life apart from God. The first thing is, you'll notice, instead of starting with the we towards God, we start with people. And what do we do? We seek people. We look at people. We look to our, uh, our neighbors sometimes, and we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're trying to make sure, well, they went on vacation. I haven't gone on vacation. I probably should go on vacation. Or maybe we have children and you're seeing their kids' friends and you're thinking, well, you know, Johnny got that new backpack or Johnny got that new, you know, skateboard. Maybe I need to make sure my kids have the same things they have. And if you have kids, you know that's a struggle. You know that's a struggle. Uh, another thing that we'll do sometimes is we're, we're going to look at our financial advisor and they're going to say, you know, you need to make sure that you have 20% here put into your 403B. Make sure you're preparing yourself and thinking about your future. And here's the problem. None of those things in and of themselves are wrong. But when you start there, money allocated towards Johnny, money allocated towards our vacation, money allocated towards our 403B, money allocated towards eating out, and end with God. Is it any surprise you don't have money left for this? We start here. You gave, we give and then move down the line. We flip it. The second thing, there's an enemy. Yes, there's an enemy. There's always an enemy. Somebody is always trying to take, and sometimes it's not take. Sometimes you just go through a life stage, health crisis, something goes wrong, medical bills come in. I've paid more for four children in medical bills than I ever thought I'd pay, ever. You think I'm sure they were healthy? No. No, and we've actually lost as well. You don't know sometimes what life will do with you. You just, you don't. But God still remains. And he says, I will fight. You still trust him with the resources. And that leads us to the third point. A lot of times when we're living in the security mindset and not a stewardship mindset, we're looking at God now that, I've, I, now that I've got what I've won and I've fought for it on my own strength and now that I've, you know, that our prayers become about God blessing what we've done. God, make sure that I don't lose this money. Make sure I don't lose my health. Make sure I don't lose my status. Make sure I don't lose this account. And our prayers become more about making sure he's blessing what we've done than trusting him to do for us what only he can do. 
And then the fourth one. We'll give only if those first three are met. And you say, well, that's not true of me. I just showed you the stats. It's true of our generations. And for my generation, $426 annually, that means most of us are giving $25 a month and patting ourselves on the back like we're really generous. No. I asked you earlier, where are you tempted to place security above stewardship? Because the truth is, each of us are. But the result when we do this, when we live by security, it's not joy that we receive. It's fear. Because we're always worried what happens if it's taken. Some of you are in here and you're thinking, you know, Brian, this is great. I, I don't make a ton. I really don't make a lot of money. So, so you know, I, I'm kind of like absolved from this because I don't make it. Well, not really. Mark 12 Jesus is going to say this about a, a widow in the mite that she puts into the offering. Verse 41, he says, And he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums of money. And a poor widow came, and she put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples. He brings them over, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this widow has put more than all those who contributed to this offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. It's not about the amount. Stewardship is not about, uh, I've, I've got to have a certain level before I give. No. It's a heart that says, Lord, everything you've given is yours. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that you'll secure. I'm going to trust that when the enemy comes, you're going to fight. I'm going to trust that at the end of the day, I will be blessed in you, even if I am poor. And that was the hardest thing for me when I thought about leaving pharmacy. I was like, a teacher's not going to make any money. And you know what? They don't make any money. (laughs) You want to have four kids? I don't know how you're going to do it as a teacher. You got to work some side hustles. Here's the thing, pastors don't make much money either. So I, I don't know what I was thinking. The Lord had a different plan. But all along the way, he said, trust me, trust me, trust me. In order for me to be out here right now, standing on the stage before you, I had to raise my support for four years, which meant I had to go to people like you, give them a vision of what we hope to do, and rely on their generosity to sustain And a lot of guys I know when they're planting churches are like, nope, I'll do everything but that. I don't want to ask people for money. I don't want to feel like I need to be uh, dependent on somebody other than myself. Churches don't get planted without generosity from other churches. They don't. 120 people give to my team so that I can do the ministry. 70% of them are millennials. Because for the last 12 years, that's who I pastored. And I taught them, look to Jesus and give generously. And they do. Those stats, that doesn't have to tell the whole story. God can take the heart, transform the heart, and make even the most stingiest generous. Amen? 
Now, I gave you the positive side. Let me just give you a little bit of kind of the throat punch, as you will. Jesus is going to tell people that money is a tricky thing because if you don't, if you don't submit it before the Lord, it will control you. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21, he's going to give us a parable. He says, he told him this parable saying, the land of the rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and and build larger ones. and, And there I will store all of my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I've heard this. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus doesn't need your money. He wants you. And money sometimes stands between us and God. Because we look to it to act in a way that only God can. Believers in Christ, many of you are generous. This is a very generous church. And for some of you, what I want you to hear this morning is thank you. Continue to push out into generosity even though it hurts. Continue to push out into generosity even though sometimes you feel the sting. But for others of you who are sitting here and you do not trust the Lord with your money first, you can't afford not to. Give it to him. Release it to his hands. He's the one who gave it to you. And trust that he'll do the work that he says he's going to do. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for your prophet Malachi, who was the last prophet to speak until Christ came 400 years later. And by ways of his word, exhorting but also encouraging Israel to trust in the Lord that they covenanted with. And Lord, this morning I want to lift up those who are here who are generous and thank them and thank you that their hearts trust you. That they live as stewards of the things you've given them. But for those here this morning who are battling and struggling and maybe even upset with this word. Lord, I pray that they would be freed from the bondage of money that promises to do what only you can. And Lord, in all this, we thank you that you do time and time again. Give us what we need not necessarily what we want. And you allow us to go through seasons that are hard and difficult and sometimes straining in a way that we can't possibly understand. But all through that are teaching us to trust in you. Be glorified this morning. Be made great this morning. Multiply the... Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.